We at Refuge Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. God bless you. Welcome to Refuge Freedom Stories, brought to you by Refuge Ministries Canada. For the next half hour, your hearts will be filled with hope as you hear real-life stories from individuals that have been changed by the power of God. Enjoy the show. Hi, this is Dave Shearer, the host of Refuge Freedom Stories. Today I'm speaking with Heather Marie. Hi, Heather. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you, Dave. How are awesome. You? I'm great. I'm just glad that you agreed to talk to us today and tell us your story. What is it that you would hope would happen today with people listening as you share your story? I think what I would hope is that people would know that God never leaves us. He's there beside us in every step of our life. And even though we might not feel his presence beside us at that moment, he, he doesn't leave. He, he sticks by us. And we have to remember that he's got everything in his control. Amen. And so tell us a little bit about, you know, your childhood and and how you were raised with your family. So I was raised in a Dutch Christian Reformed family, and we were the stereotypical nuclear family. My younger sister and I, we both attended Christian school, and we really lacked nothing in the material sense. We attended church religiously two times every Sunday, and we participated in numerous church activities throughout the week. Mm -hmm. So growing up in the Christian household, And going to church, I just remember that I had a lot of questions about God and questions about the church, and I never really was able to ever find anybody that could answer the questions. Ah, okay. So my vision of God, I can remember as a child, was just this angry supernatural guy in the sky that was to be feared, and everybody was worried that he would smite you at the slightest Mm screw-up. It was a lot of fear-mongering is what I remember. The scary, angry God is like the Old Testament God, I guess, is kind of how I pictured him. So I can remember from an early age, I just had this sense that I just didn't fit in, even like with my Christianity and like my Christian Reformed upbringing, I just didn't fit that mold. Okay. And I just couldn't really figure out why I didn't feel like I fit in. So just as I was growing up, all these feelings just started to create like this darkness that I had inside me, and I just couldn't measure up to what anyone around me was expecting me to be. Like a standard of lifestyle? Right, right. And even, like, in regard to, like, the church and whatnot, just because I always was questioning everything, it was kind of like, I was more like a nuisance. Yes. They were just like, oh, not her. Like, what now, right? You'll understand when you grow up. I used to get that a lot. Yes. Blind faith, blind faith, blind faith. Mm -hmm. Every answer was always blind faith, right? Yes. And I was quite impulsive, and I was really talkative, so that didn't help me out very much. (laughs) 
And I, I remember I used to use humor a lot to get the attention of people around me. Yes. And, and most of the time I just did it because I was trying to deflect from these feelings of not feeling adequate to the people around me. Mm-hmm. So I can remember in grade two when I was in the Christian school, my teacher wrote a comment. It said, Heather is a class clown. Perhaps she could focus more on her studies instead of her jokes. So <laughs> I kind of continued to use the humor throughout my college years, too, and then at the end of college, we had a graduation party, so I was awarded the class clown title, and I remember coming home when I graduated, and my mom said, that is not an accomplishment you should be proud of. <laughs> I was super excited about it, because yes. I had maintained this level of class clown throughout all of my academic career, right? And my mom kind of looked at me and was like, that is not something that you really want to be remembered by. But anyway, so these feelings, that they just kept escalating. I just as I grew up, I just didn't feel like I fit. I didn't feel like I measured up. And it kind of played out into a turbulent relationship with my mom and dad throughout my childhood and into my youth. And now that I'm a grown adult, I can honestly say, looking back on it, that I don't feel like they did anything particularly wrong to me. I just feel like we probably lacked the ability to positively communicate with each other. And unfortunately, it played out very painfully for, for all of us. Yes. Then when I was 17 years old, I kind of hit like a breaking point with with them, like we were just not getting along at all and and things were just getting really not great. So I ended up, I I moved out of my parents' house when I was 17 and I moved in with my boyfriend and his family. Yes. So my boyfriend's family, like my boyfriend was brought up uh, in a non-Christian home. They weren't churchgoers. If they believed in God, they weren't vocal about it. But from as far as I knew, they they didn't believe in God. But for some reason, like, they were just very good Samaritan-type people, mm-hmm. and, and they lived by the do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Mm-hmm. And it just was really uh, contradictory to anything I'd been taught in church, and it just made me even more confused. Well, that's such a conflict, day eh? when you see wonderful people right. that are living kind lives and helping people, and whenever, but, mm-hmm. they, but they don't have the same faith that we have. No, so to me it just didn't make any sense because in my opinion, like they had the heart of Jesus in them, mm-hmm. yet they hadn't accepted Jesus into their hearts. So I didn't understand how that would work, right? Yes, yeah. To me, I was brought up, you couldn't have Christ-like actions unless Christ was in your heart. So mm-hmm. it just didn't make any sense. So I just kind of got even more confused and frustrated. And, and I'd say that that was probably the time that I just decided, well, okay, this doesn't make any sense to me, therefore I'm kind of done with this, right? And mm-hmm. I kind of just said, yeah, see you later, God, and, and then that was it, and I, I didn't really go back to church again after that. So the years went on, and I graduated college, and I got married to the boyfriend that I'd been living with when I was 17, mm-hmm. and then we started our own family a few years after that. And my relationship with my parents, it, it, it did not really improve much. Like, we would tolerate each other at best, and, and it was really rocky. And sometimes we'd go months and months where we weren't even speaking to each other, mm-hmm. which was kind of frustrating too, right? Because it, it almost came down to you, you don't even remember why you're, you're doing this anymore, like why you're not talking to each other. And it was just kind of like, I'd, I remember thinking, oh, I just want to like, go back to the way things were, but then you wouldn't even know how to get back to that. Yes. But then we'd, we'd make up and we'd be fine again for a little while, and then something else would happen with one of us that we it would all kind of rewind and go all back over again. So then the year 2012 came, and 
in 2012, our family experienced something that I would never want anyone to experience. So my mom was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer mm-hmm. in January of 2012. My goodness. So she passed away in July of that same year. So basically a half of the year, and then she was she was already gone. Her illness was really fast and real, really like ferocious. Nobody expected that this was going to happen to her. Like she was just a relatively healthy and active, very active person. It just was a total shocker to us all. Mm-hmm. But I can say without a shadow of a doubt, she fought it harder than anyone I've ever seen. Like her faith never once wavered. And when God did call her home, she went willing and joyfully because mom had this plaque that a friend of hers had made for her. And it said, Philippians 121, to live is Christ, die is gain. So she had that plaque up on uh, her mantle. To live is Christ and to die die is is gain. Okay. Yeah. So she had that up on the mantle the whole entire time she's battling this cancer. And anybody that would come in and and be asking her, like, how how are you fighting this? She'd say, Philippians 121 every time. So Mm. she believed it, like, right to the core of her heart, that verse. So then she passed away in July that year. It must have been her. Yeah, it was very hard. So my sister was around 25 years old. I was in my mid-30s. I had three kids under the age of two. (laughs) <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. She passed away on July the 9th, and yes. then my twin girls turned one on July 31st. It was a real a whirlwind of a year, kind of, I guess. And yes. Yeah, it was a real unfortunate event. So a little side fact to say about my mom, uh, just to help understand the story a little better. In January 2010, my mom went on this mission trip to Haiti mm-hmm. with a, a, a group from a local church. If you don't remember the news, in 2010, January 2010, Haiti was hit with a magnitude 7.0 earthquake. Wow. She had only been there about a day or two, mm-hmm. and then the, the earthquake happened, so we Sheesh. first saw it on the news, Yeah. and then my dad was actually working a night shift, I believe, so he, I don't even think he knew it had happened yet. Mm-hmm. And then I remember my mother-in-law called me and said, like, you better turn on the TV and look at this. So my mom was right in, basically, in the center where that earthquake hit, and and she survived it. Like, And we had no communication with my mom or that mission group for several days. Like, we didn't know if they were dead or alive or what happened to them. And then finally, we got a one-line email through that said, everyone is okay, don't worry, we'll be home as soon as we can. So, yeah, so she survived that. That's pretty mir- miraculous at the yeah, exactly. Like, we were all just like, holy cow. <laughs> so, and then I remember when she came back, I was visiting with her, and my dad turned on the dryer. So the rumbling of the clothes was going around, and she went into this, like, utter panic like I'd never seen before. So oh, she's crouched dear. down on all fours, and she's frantically crying at me. She's like, can you hear it? Can you feel it? Can you feel it? Like, she had post-traumatic stress. Oh, PTSD, for yes. quite a while, yeah. Mm-hmm. Every little sound was just shaking her right up. So, yeah, it was a sheer miracle that she survived it and that her group survived it. Mm-hmm. So then two years later, now she's pretty much to the day of the earthquake is when she got diagnosed with cancer, like two years pretty much to the day. Yes. And so I just remember thinking and being so angry and thinking, like, why, God, are you doing this? Like, wouldn't it have been way more heroic for her to just die in this earthquake? (laughs) Yes. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. for her story would have been like, you know, this missionary goes, like, the earthquake takes her instead of, oh, no, she survives it. She's perfectly fine. And then two years later, let's take her anyway. Like, it just 
it kind of so kind of sounds like maybe you got a little angry with God and and were blaming God or saying it was God's fault that your mom got the yeah. cancer and died. Yeah, for sure. I totally blamed God. The more I thought about it, the angrier I got, and I just I couldn't accept that as a truth that that had happened and why that had happened. It just made no sense to me. Mm. And then it just came back to this mean God, right? That yes. I've been thinking about as a child is so mean, right? The disciplinarian God and the dictator and, yeah, the one you fear. Yeah, yeah there was no grace and no love in my vision of him at mm-hmm. that time. So a few years go by. So now it's 2016. My dad, he gets remarried. So every so often we get a call or a text from my dad's wife, and she's asking us if we want to go to church with them. So my dad's wife, she's a widow. Her former husband was a Baptist preacher. Yes. And he passed away of a heart attack, just like was jogging and then had a heart attack. And then a few days later, he didn't make it. So she was a former preacher's wife, I guess. So she'd be calling us, asking us, you know, on this Sunday, we're going to have a little potluck lunch. Do you want to come to church with us? Or this Sunday, the Sunday school is going to do a little program. Do you want to bring the kids to church with us? Mm-hmm. And every time I would say, oh, well, you know, we got a cold or um, <laughs> there was always a, re- a reason why yes. we couldn't go. An excuse, yeah. Yeah, so infinite amount of excuses, I would say. And then eventually it was approaching Easter Sunday 2017, and we get a text again, and it's so... Easter Sunday's coming up, and your sister's coming home for the holiday, and we're going to be having a little dinner after church, and we were just wondering if you wanted to come with us to church. So I remember looking at my husband, and I said, like, what are we going to do? I have no logical, like, explanations of why we can't go. I pretty much used every illness that there is as a reason before of why we couldn't go, and we were all healthy. Yeah. So I said, well, here's what we'll do. We'll go this one time. Mm -hmm. It'll get them off our backs, right? Yeah, for a bit at least, eh? For a bit at least, yeah. Or we could just, at least we'll make it till Christmas before maybe they ask us again, right? (laughs) Easter and Christmas people? Yes. Yeah, so we said yes to it. So we're getting ready for it. So by this time, just to give you some perspective on how it went, I haven't been to church in about 20 years at this point. Mm -hmm. So it's been a while. Mm -hmm. It's a little nerve-wracking. How about your kids? They hadn't been to church at all, and my husband had never been to church. Yeah, other than maybe for like a 15-minute or 20-minute thing where he was coming to like a youth group thing (laughs) that I said, well, why don't we just go see so-and-so at a youth group, right? Yep. So that was about it. But formally, like in church, we we hadn't been, and our kids hadn't been. I can remember pretty much every minute of that service that day. Mm Mm-hmm. I could probably even tell you, like, what the pastor was wearing. That's like, <laughs> something, that's like how in tune I was at, at that time. Something got that on. stuck in your mind somehow. What happened? So the sermon was called The Hope of the Resurrection. And it was like a bomb had just, like, dropped on my heart after he preached that sermon. Mm. And I remember just, I looked at my husband, because I ha- I can't read, like, I've been married to him for almost 19 years, like, we're in our 19th year, and I cannot read him to save my life. <laughs> he's still, like, he's yep. just stone cold when he's sitting there. I cannot figure out what he's thinking, right? It's a typically a so, guy thing, yes. Yeah, so I'm sitting there, and I'm just, like, almost on the verge of tears just with this, like, truth bomb hitting me, right? And, mm-hmm. and I'm looking over at him, and I have no idea what's going on in his head at all. We made it through the service. It was 
It was wonderful, and the sermon was, like, completely life-altering. So we were driving home, and I said, well, what did you think of it? And he says, well, I don't care what you do. You cannot go back, but I'm going to take the kids back next Sunday, whether you want to go back or not. What? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so we, we went back, and then as God works in his mysterious ways, we went back again and again and again. Mm. Yeah, so it was just Sunday after Sunday. We were just, like, drinking it in, and, and it was just, like, soaking in so deeply to us. So God was truly working our, into our hearts through that pastor of that church and his wife. She's a darling. The two mm. of them just spent so much time pouring into us, and, and it was just, like, God was just speaking through them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so the biggest thing was it went from a, an angry God to a loving Father. Like, that was the biggest thing I remember. The biggest memory I have is just everything shifted. It was like the pastor said, do you realize that God wants this relationship with you? And it's like, relationship? What are you talking about? <laughs> like, this has never been something I've thought about before, that mm -hmm. God actually wants to pull us into a relationship with Him, right? Mm. So... God was just revealing his goodness and his mercy to us, and it was, like, truly changing our lives. And I just remember all this darkness that had been carrying me, like, over me, it just was, like, starting to melt away. Like, I didn't have to worry about if I could measure up to somebody else. Like, yeah. Or I didn't have to measure up to God. He, he doesn't care about that. And that was just something that blew my mind. Totally re revitalized or changed your concept exactly. of who God was and and his character, and exactly. and that, I mean, probably became real to you. Yes, exactly. There's this verse, I think it's in Jeremiah, or maybe I'm wrong, but it says, like, I know the plans for you and the plans for your future, like yes. God's plans for us. Mm -hmm. And it was just, God's plans were starting to make so much more sense. It was, it was just like I could see everything through a new set of lenses, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then I started to realize, like, God was in control even when I was, in a painful state in my life. And part of God's plan that I was starting to understand that I didn't understand at the time when my mom had died was that to him, death is not bad. To us, somebody dies and we're sad and we mourn and that is part of the human process, right? Yes. But for, for God, especially when the person is a believer, right? Like, mm -hmm. they get to go home and be with their father and it's not a bad thing to him. Like, And because mom was such a steadfast believer... She knew also that death was good for her. Mm -hmm. Moving past the grief I was experiencing and beyond the pain of it, and I wanted so much more time with my mom on earth, right? But God was working for my good and my family's good, and it was all starting to become so much clearer now. So my mom's death brought our family salvation, and so that can sound a little bit crazy probably, and it might even sound selfish if I'm saying that. So when my mom died... I had completely turned my back on God. My husband didn't know God at all. My children had no idea who God was, and the only idea they knew of him equated basically to a Santa Claus. Okay. You know what I mean? Yes. Like the guy, in, the magical guy in the sky, right? And, mm -hmm. and to them, they didn't have any differentiation between Santa and God because they both were just something that somebody had told them about, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they didn't have an experience within a relationship with God up until the point when we started going to church, because we had never talked about it. We didn't mm -hmm. read the Bible at home. So it was just, it was like life-changing for all of us. So wow. my dad's new wife, 
we wouldn't have married if my mom hadn't passed away. She was the one who was persistently asking us to come to church, right? Yes. So without all these things happening, we would never have got there on our own. Like, God was in control the whole entire time. Yes. So even when I thought, I turned my back on God, but I turned my back on God because I thought God didn't care. God is, like, his hand is just in all of this. It's just Mm -hmm. working his plans, right? And and, and I might think, well, where are you now, right? And here he is. He's just maneuvering almost like a puzzle piece, right? He's just putting every piece mm-hmm. of the puzzle together. Yes. I've heard it um, talked about like a like a chess game, like a chess board. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's just like every piece of this puzzle of our lives is starting to, to fit. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just making so much more sense now where before I was just thinking like, I hate you, God. You're yeah. so mean. You took my mom, like now my kids don't have to get to grow up with their grandmother and mm-hmm. all these things is for me, for me, for me, right? Mm-hmm. But God is saying, hold on a moment and then I'm going to reveal my plan to you. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So on October 1st, 2017, I was rebaptized. Yes. I was uh, infant baptized just the way I was brought up with the Christian mm-hmm. reform. Uh, so I was, I was, I guess you could say I was believer baptized when, when I... Uh, in October 2017. Yeah, well, the difference being that your parents had you baptized as an infant, and then on your own, as an adult, as a testimony of your faith, and such, you you were baptized. Was it a water baptism? Yes. Yes. Yeah, immersion baptism. Mm -hmm. So then a year later, so September 2nd, 2018, my husband was baptized. Wow. So I know for my mom, she would have given her life a thousand times Mm -hmm. for, for us to have salvation i know that for a fact well it's a short short life that we live you know and and those are the most important things i mean as we get older we start to realize that a lot of young people have no clue how short life is but you start to realize that it's there's it's got to be about more than this life so that's where i thought my story would finish Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) but yeah that was totally not where it finished so, and it's still not finished, but anyway, I'll just give a little rundown of what happened next. Sure. So, in 2008, I became ill with an infectious disease uh, called colostrum difficile, okay. or it's more commonly known as C. diff is the short form. C. diff, okay. Yeah. So, I had a, a wisdom tooth taken out, and my oral surgeon prescribed me two courses of preventative antibiotics in case... I got an infection. So the antibiotics, what they do is they uh, they alter your basically your your stomach bacteria, yes. and they get rid of all of the good and all of the bad. And then when that happens, the C. diff toxin uh, will overtake your your colon basically. Mm-hmm. So I was hospitalized for a week after I was diagnosed with that, and I had IV meds and all that. And then I was released, and I was not improving. I was actually getting worse. Oh boy. So I lost about 40 pounds in a month, and I'm not very heavy to begin with. Right. So that was a pretty noticeable weight loss. And then um, I was barely able to eat or drink, and anything that I could eat and drink, I couldn't keep it in me. And my doctor was at a total loss. He didn't know what to do because everything that traditionally they had used to treat C. diff was not working for me. And then I even tried an experimental drug just to see if that would work, and it didn't work either. So they really didn't know what to do. And then it became a literal matter of life and death because I had dropped to just under 90 pounds. Wow. So at this point, there's about 15 pounds difference between my eight-year-old son and myself. Mm-hmm. So 
So that went on for seven to eight months. And then in the end of the seventh month, I was able to receive a kind of a new treatment that was an experimental treatment uh, in Hamilton Hospital, and it put me into remission. So they can't tell you that you're totally cured because C. diff toxins, they never really leave after you've had it. So you're just basically trying to balance it and control it so that it doesn't cause another infectious relapse. Although that was in remission, I still wasn't cured. I just remember thinking, like, this is not where I'm supposed to be in my life. Like, again, blaming God, like, come Mm -hmm. on, like, what are you doing to me, right? Like, I just got baptized. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. Like, this is my time to shine. And here I am. I'm laying in bed. I'm supposed to be, like, it's energetic mother in my mid-30s, and I can't even get out of bed to make my kids breakfast. So I just remember feeling so helpless, and I just waited it out every day till the next day came, and then I did it all over again. So then I just remember one night, it was after I had my second treatment, because I had to have more than one to get uh, put in remission, and I was just struggling so hard with what was going on, and I was so tired, and I was exhausted spiritually as well. And I took this pillow to my mouth, and I, because it's 11.30 at night, and I don't want to wake my family up. Before I could even realize what I said, I just said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm-hmm. Like, I know to say that and compare myself to Jesus on the cross is, like, absolutely ridiculous. Like, I in no way was anywhere near what he was experiencing, and I realized that. Yes. But it just came out of my mouth like I couldn't even help that I said it, right? So it was in that moment that God kind of revealed to me, he's like, you might feel like you're completely helpless, but you're not hopeless. Like I was never forsaken, but I be glorified through Christ because I was a child of God. And it came back to that sermon that happened on Easter Sunday. God did not forsake Jesus after his crucifixion. He was glorified and he was resurrected. Yes. And we have hope in his resurrection. Amen. So that's where God took me on that moment. And it was in that that God just kind of really made the scripture come alive. And then I started to see that everything we do in response to the character of who God is, is considered worship. And I hadn't really thought of it like that before. Like, I always just uh, thought worship was just the music you sing in church. Like, it was always music. Worship was just how I saw it. And then I started to see that it's like we have to live a lifestyle of worship, Mm -hmm. right? And then it was just for me a real journey of going past seeking God's hand, seeking space, like just being able to be content to bask in the glory of God and, and not always have to ask for something or expect mm-hmm. something from Him. Yeah. And that was such, such a huge revelation for me, I remember at that time. We are not forsaken, but glorified as children of God. Hebrews 13, exactly. 5, right? Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. And I would love to tell you that the story ends with me being completely healed, but that is not true. But it couldn't take God from me. Yes. And it couldn't take Jesus out of my heart. Like, that wouldn't change, no matter Mm. how sick I got. That's profound. God was right beside me this whole entire journey, and that was something that will never, never leave. Mm. And he's still working for my good, because he's a loving father, right? Yes. That's something that I, I just... I realized, and I, I just live that day to day. Sounds like you're living in in gratitude and an exactly. appreciation of what, an understanding of what God has done and is doing and can do for you. If you could leave a message for somebody that's listening, something that meant something to you, you shared quite a bit that means a lot to you and and is life giving. What would you say? I would say that 
God will always provide you your daily bread, whether it's in a full loaf, a sliver of a slice, or even just a crumb. Mm. Whatever happens in that day, when you go into your next day, God will always provide you with your daily bread. So trust God, and He's got it in control. Amen. Well, that's pretty awesome. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Well, thank you again for having me. It's my pleasure to share, and I truly hope that I can be an encouragement to somebody listening. I'm certain you will. God bless you, and uh, you'll continue to be in my prayers. Well, thank you so much, Dave. enjoyed the last half hour as much as I did. Thank you again to Refuge Ministries Canada for hosting the show. So until next Friday, may God richly bless you with peace, love, and happiness. We at Refuge Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. That number again is 519 701 0108. God bless you.